even though you've gone and done something, there's, there's always stuff that puts you back in your place and realizes. Like, that's the thing I love is that I'd say with the guys that I train with who put me away in sessions, there's no reason why they can't step up and progress to the same level. Like athletics is great because everyone's got the same access to the same opportunities, I feel. It's not like football or like your like basketball or NBA and stuff where you have to be picked up by a team, you have to go through certain processes. If you train hard and you run quick enough, you can make a team. Like you can go to trials with a standard and you can make a team and no one will stop you. So the doors are so open, which is why I rate and admire so many people that haven't potentially made the progress they wanted to a point, but still giving it a go because it can take one year to have that breakthrough. The same if you've got a goal where you really want to run under a certain time in a 10k marathon, but you've had a few years where you can't quite, there's nothing stopping you the next year from having these big jumps. Like you just have to change tiny little bits and a lot of it is just the mindset and the yeah, confidence exactly. you, can, you keep. Like it's just, it's so mental. Like a, a lot of it where if you believe you can do something, it's like the, the greatest thing that um, you can have because you are on your way to being able to do that, I feel. What's up, everyone? I'm your host, Mario Fraioli, and you are listening to the Morning Shakeout Podcast. Special episode for you this week. I'm excited to share the recording from my live show in New York City this past Saturday with reigning world 1500 meter champion Jake Whiteman of Great Britain. This past summer, Jake pulled off one of the biggest upsets of the year in athletics, taking down Olympic champion Jakob Ingerbritsen to capture his first world title. Jake, who is 28 years old and a native of Scotland, is also a Commonwealth Games and European Championships medalist, as well as a three-time champion at the Fifth Avenue Mile in New York. In this conversation, we talked about the World 1500 Meter Final and the tactics that Jake used to take the win. He told me about what it was like to come off the high of that world title and still having to race in the Commonwealth Games and European Championships in the weeks that came after it. We discussed pressure as a privilege what it's like going into races now as a favorite rather than an underdog, and how he's learned to appreciate his accomplishments. Jake also talked about growing up as the son of two accomplished runners. His mom was an Olympian in the marathon in 1988, being coached by his dad and the dynamics of their relationship, and a lot more. Before we get into it, I'd like to thank my longtime partner, New Balance, for hosting the live show this past weekend and sponsoring this episode of the podcast. Let me tell you about the new Fuel Cell SC Elite V3. I just got a pair of these last week, and it's going to be the shoe that I race the Boston Marathon in next April. It's a next-level racing shoe with a carbon fiber plate and plenty of lightweight foam underfoot for a cushioned yet responsive ride. I did a speed workout in them right out of the box last week, and it felt like I was floating down the road. These babies have a smooth ride and are super fun to run in. Right now, there are select sizes remaining in an exclusive New York City Marathon colorway, and they're available on newbalance.com, so try and snatch them up before the holidays if you can, and they'll be more widely available in early 2023. This episode is also brought to you by Arena. If you don't have time or just don't want to go to the gym, Arena is a serious and super efficient strength training solution. Arena is designed to fit into your life, enabling you to conveniently train at home, at the track, or on the road. The Arena unit is compact. It's the size of a yoga mat and weighs about 55 pounds, which means you can store it just about anywhere. And you can use it to train on your own or follow workout programs like their Strength for Runners series, which is designed to make you stronger and faster for race day. Arena quantifies your strength training by tracking total volume, intensity, weight lifted, and calories. So go beyond your pair or two of dumbbells. With Arena, you can incrementally adjust the weight by the pound up to 200 pounds on the Go Arena app. There is no subscription fee or hidden charges. To support the running community and promote the importance of strength training for runners, Arena is offering $100 off the Arena platform until November 21st, 2022. Go to arena.fit, that's arena.fit, click shop now and use the discount code RUNSTRONG. That's one word, 
all caps, when you check out, and that will save you $100 off the Arena platform. That's Run Strong, and the offer is only good through November 21st, 2022. So act now. Okay, that's all I've got for the introduction. Please enjoy this live recording of the Morning Shakeout podcast with reigning World 1500 Meter Champion, Jake Whiteman. Welcome to the Morning Shakeout Live. I'm Mario Fraioli. I am thrilled to be sitting here with world 1,500-meter champion Jake Whiteman. I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time, even though it came together just in the last couple of weeks here, because I've had a question that I've wanted to ask you since watching the world 1,500-meter final. So, I mean, I've, like, analyzed and overanalyzed that race a billion times from a tactical perspective. And with 300 meters to go, there was a bit of contact, and you made... A surge to go from like third or fourth, like right into second. You got on Jakob's shoulder, right on the back straightaway, but you you didn't pass, and that looked like it was a very intentional decision at that time. And then coming into like 200 meters to go, you made an aggressive move and went by, and he didn't respond at all. And I just really want to know what was going through your head in those like you know less than 20 seconds from the time that you made that initial move at 300 meters till you went by with like 200 to go. If you, if you watch the rest of my races prior to that, there's a few times where I'd have my best runs and won races by doing the same thing. So in my head, I was like, well, I'm, I'm good at doing this. Therefore, if the opportunity comes to be able to do that, which is, I, I can't really do it again, so you probably won't see it again because we're all going to stop it. But if you can hit the front before the bend, control the bend, no one's probably going to come past you because they've got to work super hard and run extra distance to come around. And therefore, all you have to do is save enough to be strong enough in the home straight that the gap you've got won't be close or someone won't come past you so the main thing I had to do was get on the shoulder to be able to pull it off in the first place so 300 to go I like instinctively just was like I'm too far back past a couple Kenyans and get on Jakob's shoulder and then it wasn't until I knew that I could kind of like take him by surprise Mm -hmm. and get to the bend first which was when the next move came but a lot of racing is like autopilot like I've, I've made so many mistakes in racing now that by the time I come to a race the decisions are made kind of for me without me kind of being conscious and realizing what's going on. So I don't really remember too much from that race apart from that home straight because I was so scared. Um, <laughs> but it's, it's like the moment you cross the line from that, I wish you could bottle it up and yeah, have it every now and, now and again because nothing will probably be as like big a high as I had for that moment. It was just the shock of it was, was the big emotion that came across me. Yeah, and you could see that on your face. As soon as you went across the finish line, it was like, did I just do that? And it's like, oh my God, yes, yeah, I did it's, just it's do It's one of those moments where like, perfect perfect scenario dream somewhere that would happen and I went into that race to give myself a chance of that happening but never did I ever expect it to happen so for it to come off I would think I was lying in bed just on my own at like four or five a.m wide awake thinking like what what is this like madness yeah did you feel at any point of the race maybe heading into the last lap or with you know a couple hundred meters to go that it was playing to your strengths and playing into your hands and that you know if it continued that way you'd have a very good chance of coming out on top or at least on the podium so when I had a really disappointing Tokyo where right. I spent the whole year being like, this is, Tokyo is my big moment here. I came fifth at Worlds in 2019. I ran uh, sub 330 over 1500 in 2020. 2021, everything's aligning here for me to get an Olympic medal. And I was so fixated on that, that to not do it and to be 10th in the final was like real gutting for me. And it took me a while to get over that. But I think if I hadn't had such a disappointing year there, I wouldn't have kind of felt as though I needed to change anything to mm-hmm. get better, which I went away to winter and like, I just knew I was stronger than the previous year. I'd raced better leading up to it. And the, the rounds went as well as I'd hoped. Like the, the year before in Tokyo, I was pretty emphatic in like my semi-final to win it, which that was just a terrible thing to do, like to win a semi-final and then be 10th in the final shows. You've done something wrong. So I said to my dad the day before um, when we, I like, met up with him and... I said, like, I really just won a global medal. Like, if, if I try to run to win it, there's potential that I'll end up with nothing. And then he said, like, how many, how many opportunities do you get to stand in the start line of a final like this against these guys? Like, go to win it. And he said, I think, I can't remember if I said to him or he said to me, it was like, if you're there with 400 to go, just go, go at 200. And then the same thing, the head of endurance as he was walking me to the call room, he was like, what, what do you want to do here? And I was like, if I'm there with 400 to go, I'll go at 200. But the chance of that happening are so slim. Yeah. Um, so as soon as the bell came and I was there, I was like, right, like, I'm going to do something here. And yeah. that's the one thing I pride my racing on is that whether or not I'm expected to win or 
whether I'm on the slowest in the field or on the fastest, I, was all, I would always do something to try and win because I'm so competitive. That's what, that's what you stand on the start line for, is to try and win races, and you don't get many opportunities to do it in a world final. Yeah. Let's rewind to 2021 Tokyo. You finished 10th in the final. You just mentioned how disappointed you were to win your semifinal and then to just like bomb out when it mattered most. What did you do after that race in the offseason heading into 2022 from either a mindset perspective or from a training perspective or maybe some combination of those things to reframe yourself as you went into this year? One of the one of the things that straight away after that final I knew was that I'm probably one of the better 800 guys in the field, mm-hmm. whereas I'm probably one of the worst 5K guys in the field. And if you look at the medalists from Tokyo, they've all ran good 5Ks. And you look at the guys at the back of the field in Tokyo and they've all run good 800s, but probably can't run good 5Ks. So it was kind of obvious that just get stronger and kind of do stuff that I'm a bit more uncomfortable with, which that came to like running a little bit more miles, like our sessions were a bit longer. And I raced a 3K indoors, which I hadn't done since I was a kid. And I thought the worst lap that you could feel was an 800, but I was so wrong because I had to get like scraped off the track every time. So that wasn't fun. And sadly, it worked. I'm going to have to do it again this year. That's the worst thing. But yeah, it was the, the mentality I had was um, Tokyo, I didn't feel as though even... I, I, I knew that after that race, I wasn't good enough at that point to have medaled. Mm-hmm. And I knew stuff needed to change. But I was disappointed that 10th wasn't a reflection of where I should have been because I kept saying before, like... I either medal or I don't. It doesn't matter if it's fourth or last. And I came away from that in 10th, and I was like, 10th is just not something I'm proud of. Like, I'd be proud of fourth and fifth being close. So I knew that going into Eugene, I was just going to give it everything. And if I was fourth and fifth and didn't medal, at least I've given the best account I possibly can of myself. So in my own head, I was pretty comfortable that I've done everything I possibly can. Like, there wasn't a stone that I hadn't unturned or I hadn't turned. Therefore, yeah, if, if, if I didn't medal, then that, that's just not for lack of trying. And fortunately for me, and going into next year, like, I know that the stuff I did worked. So therefore, I've got the chance now to repeat that and build on it again, um, which is pretty exciting. Yeah. Since Worlds, I mean, you kept racing. You had to keep racing. I mean, you had Commonwealth Games, you had Europeans. Um, what was it like coming off of the high of your life? I mean, you're like, I did it. I, I am world champion. I got that global medal that I have been seeking for so long. Yeah. But I, I still got to, like, keep going. Um, you yeah. went from, like, like the world championship and, and these other events are, are huge, especially, like, for Great Britain. Yeah. But it's not, it's not the world championship. Was it hard to stay motivated to keep yeah. racing at that championship level after Worlds? I think it was the same moment where I was saying I was lying in bed of my own after and my heart sank a little bit because I was like, I've got to do commies in 10 days. Yeah. Let off the back of this. Yeah. I was like, such a high and the best possible outcome in the best champs of the year. And I've got to carry on racing two more champs. And it was just the, like... Just the, the come down from it was like getting back home, having a lot of media stuff. And then there was a point where we watched the last session of Worlds because I was back home literally the day after getting ready for commies. And I went out on a run and I came back and my girlfriend had taken everything from Worlds and put it away somewhere. So people had bought me like champagne cards and my medal. I don't know where it was. Like I came back and it was just all gone as if it had never happened. Good move. Which, yeah, I thought it was. And my big thing was that I didn't have to run the 15 because... Um, I was entered for the eight as well. So I spoke to Crammy the day after and I was like, what do you think I should do? Like, what would you do? He's like, why would you risk running the 15? And then there was an article with Seb Coe and he came out and be like, he's got to run the 15. So it's like, <laughs> yeah, so like, these two legends are like, yeah, they're, they're like telling me to do one thing or the other. And I thought my dad would give me an answer. And I said like, dad, like, what, what do you reckon I should do? He's like, completely up to you. And I was like, oh, give me some in here. Like, <laughs> come on. So my thing in my head was like, I wouldn't like to watch Commonwealths and watch this. This sounds bad, but watch somebody else win the 15, knowing that I could have been there to try and do that. And for me, it was like Scotland is where I grew up and we don't get to run for them very often. Whereas Commonwealths is unique because you run for your home country. So you're England, Scotland, right. Wales, Northern Rather Ireland. Than just Great Britain. Yeah. So Scotland had been so good to me. So I felt as though the best chance to do that was in the 15, but it just happened to be the 15 at Commonwealths was pretty much a world final minus Jakob. Yeah. Um, so it was crazy. And... I just mentally and physically just felt so drained like during the experience. I, I didn't enjoy it. It was like an amazing crowd and I was announced as world champ for the first time, which was cool, but I didn't enjoy being there. And to come away with third like looked like a disappointing run, but for me it was just like the relief that I got something because I could have easily had nothing from that. Yeah, I'm just imagining the like emotional roller coaster from worlds to that, which is a very short period of time. It's like the high and the excitement of it 
all the media attention, everyone congratulating you. And that's like, it's exciting, but it's also draining, right? Yeah, it was, so I'm not, I'm not a very emotional guy. Like I don't, I don't cry very often, but I came away from comedies and I felt like crying. I don't know why I was just drained. Yeah. Like I wasn't happy. I wasn't sad. I was just mentally just tired for mm-hmm. that whole experience. Like, and just glad it was done. And then it was right. Comedies is done. You've got to go to another champs the next week, which that was a big turning point for me knowing that, I was always going to finish my 1500 season at Commies. Therefore, the 800 was exciting for me because it's a new it challenge. It's fresh. Yeah, yeah and, I, and I was like, I know that I've got a bit of improvement I can make over this event. So, like, I know what I've got to do the rest of the season. And for me, that kept the longevity and allowed me to go to all three champs and then finish all the way up until September, still running okay. Yeah. When you went into Commonwealth Games and or Europeans, did you feel any additional external pressure being the world champion, having that title, did it feel like there was a bit of a weight on your shoulders or there'd be more expectations from you? I mean, your own expectations are pretty high as an elite yeah. level athlete, but now you're announced as the world champion for the first time. Like, oh, yeah, shit. it was, it was <laughs> targets case, on my back. Yeah, it was like a lot of the build up stuff was like athletes to watch and it was like, my name was getting mentioned a lot with it. And the thing that scared me the most was I knew how I felt with, no, with something to prove and no pressure going into Worlds. And I was like, there's so many guys that are in that same boat. Right. And I'm what Jakob was at Wells potentially, which is, isn't a nice place to be. Yeah. Um, but I tried my best to race as well as I could, which honestly, like, if, I don't know if anyone, if anyone hasn't seen the Commonwealth 15 final, like just as a neutral, it's a mad race because it's a 3.30 race and what we thought was a slow track, but just everyone chopping and changing. So it's cool to watch, not fun to be in. Um, but yeah, it was, it was the, the pressure is something that I'm gonna have to get used to because even though next year I feel like Jakob will probably still be favourite, everyone's going to say I'm defending champion, therefore there's going to be something around me, whereas last year I didn't get mentioned once probably, which was great. And yeah. even going to Europeans, um, I hadn't run anywhere near as quick over 800 as I had done previous years, but I was still the one to watch in the eight, which I was like, oh, give me, give me some in here. Like, I feel like there were other guys that are probably running better. And just, just to be able to go into a champs with that pressure in, in the 2020 uh, two season will help me a lot going into 2023 mm-hmm. dealing with that a bit better yeah i mean that was my next question is like how do you go into next year now not being the underdog having a bit of a target on your back like does it change the way that you approach your training or how you view your own spot in the sport because i think a lot of us like regardless of what level we're at when we jump a level all of a sudden like you put higher expectations on yourself and you're like okay i've got to prove that i belong at at this level but what has that been like for you just thinking through it in this interim period yeah it's i think it's the billy jean king thing where it's like pressure is privilege of champions like you've done something to warrant that yeah. which that's what i take it as it's like the reason i'll have pressure is because i've done something good last year and if i did something good last year why can't i do it again um it's going to be so hard because the way i ran probably won't be allowed to happen so I'm going to have to be even better at racing different ways because Jakob if you saw his face after definitely won't want that to happen again because he wasn't (laughs) too impressed Um, but yeah it's just it's part of the sport isn't it it's like you know that there will be situations like this and I'm not thinking about too much one of the best things is you get a wild card to go to Worlds next year and British champs our trials are horrible like the worst weekend of the year so not having to do the 15 for that is going to be pretty nice like watching them battle it out but I'm going to try and do the 800 instead so give myself potentially the opportunity to double at Worlds yeah right now is a bit of a golden era for Great Britain in terms of like middle distance running I mean you've got yourself as world champion you've got Laura Muir who's doing amazing things Keeley um, and then Josh Kerr who's an yeah. Olympic medalist yeah. and now like you're all still in your prime and do you feel like you have an obligation to like hold hold that up like this this reputation of like great britain as a middle distance running powerhouse here in the early 2020s seeing like what you know what they're doing at these same events that you're at i think that's probably the nature of it is that it doesn't take us to uphold it for other people to see what we're doing and help push us on as well like it's going to only get harder the next couple of years because I was the same. You see, like, mine was probably Chris O'Hare, if people remember him from, yeah. uh, I think he retired probably now in 2019. Yeah. But I watched Chris make world finals, win European medals, and it's like, I grew up in the same club as Chris. You see Josh get Olympic bronze. It was like, I feel like me and Josh are pretty, like, comparable. Therefore, why can't I do the same thing? And it'll be the same with, with guys that are watching us now. It's just going to make it harder to make teams and stuff. But if you can make those teams, you're going to be even better prepared to then go into the major champs. But... It's, it's probably the case that you don't realise you're in a golden era until it's done. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope people realise at the moment within the UK like, how good 
we are becoming at the middle distance events and probably the, the long distance stuff as well. Like look at Ailish, like smashing it on the women's side as well. Um, and like we've got Callum Hawkins, so good over the marathon. So there's there's definitely reason for people to watch it, which I hope that's that's my, my one thing I'd love to come from this is that if we can keep performing and getting medals, then attract people to the sport that wouldn't have watched it otherwise just because you've got someone to root for in Brits. Yeah. Last question on the here and now. Do you anticipate sticking with the 1500 primarily or would you like to, say, take a season or two and focus on the eight and see what you can do in that event? Uh, I used to think that you had to focus on one or the other. So... In 2020, during COVID, I focused mainly on the 800 and I ran like a PB there, 144.1. And then this year, I barely did much eight stuff. It was all predominantly getting ready for 15 and I PB'd in 143. So for me, it's you don't have to focus on one or the other. I just focus on being the best middle distance athlete I possibly can. Um, I would love to double and be able to do well at both just because that's the way it used to be. Like That's gone, the eight and 15 doubles. And... Co Kramovet, Kelly Holmes are the Brits that have really done that for us. Like Laura Muir, even mm. at Commonwealth, did both and medaled in both. Um, the timetable is not nice. Like they've, they've done it so without much consideration for it, I think, where the 800 heat would be the day before the 15 final. So I'm going to go to British Champs, run the 800, and I think if I won it, I would go. If I didn't, I probably wouldn't just because the risk of getting my 15 not being so good because that's the main thing for me is trying to defend that title but I don't necessarily think I'm an 8 runner or a 15 runner I'm, I'm a middle distance runner you mentioned a little while ago how the 3k was just the worst event that you've ever run but both of your parents were accomplished marathoners so you have like these long distance genes I mean you're only 28 years old so yeah. I mean you can stay with this middle distance stuff for a while but do you think you have any like inclination at all to eventually move up in distance and maybe like dabble in some 5k 10k stuff or eventually like maybe race a marathon just to see what it's like or you're like no I'm, I'm good like two miles is plenty far enough uh, so my mom went to solo olympics marathon and she was 231 i think yeah. and then my dad is 213 and went to commonwealth and europeans so don't know why i'm messing about with this mile stuff um dad always jokes i've said it a few times but that we had a fast milkman which is why he credits that <laughs> nothing nothing to do with him um but yeah i i think for me i've not shown enough potential over the longer stuff uh 3k was a good step forward but i'm like an anaerobic guy like for me my biggest asset is i can run through lactic a lot so therefore they're my events uh 3k i showed a tiny bit of potential maybe so Dad always says that if I step up, I go to chase, um, which that does not sound appetizing. At the age of 28, to have to relearn to do a new event like that. But if it prolonged my career, I don't think I'd ever get to marathon because, yeah, that, that's just not in my locker anytime soon. So anyone running tomorrow, I've got a lot more respect for you because of that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's if I can keep my career going as long as possible. Like I realize that I'm 28 now and I've been doing this for so long. And I always say, like, oh, like, I'd want to retire sooner rather than later. Mm -hmm. And especially after this summer, as soon as you finish your season, like, I miss seeing those people. I miss being on camps. I miss being at meets. And what am I doing otherwise? There'll be nothing, nothing that fulfills me as much as doing this sport. So if I can be in it as long as possible... Why would I not try and do that? Yeah, I mean, look, Nick Willis had a very long career and raced into his late 30s at a very competitive level, so why not? Yeah. Um, we're in New York. It's marathon weekend. A lot of excitement here in the city. You're not going to run the marathon tomorrow or anytime, possibly, but this city has been very good to you. I mean, you've won the Fifth Avenue Mile four, five times? And not, not quite, three times. Three, three times? times? Okay, yeah, yeah. well, anyway, I'm going to forecast. Maybe five. I'm going to forecast here. Maybe someday you will win it four or five times, but I mean, you've had a lot of success here. What is it about racing in New York, even on the roads, that brings you back here, you know, year after year? So I remember as a young athlete, like I'd, or not, not even a young athlete, when I was at uni and I wasn't quite good enough to get into Fifth Ave, I'd watch it and I'd be like, that is so sick. Like running, running down Fifth Avenue Mile like with crowds lining the streets. So I loved it the first year I did it and I was like probably second last or something. Um, but you were hooked. Yeah, yeah. And it's like since like learning how to win it, I love to come back even more because it's obviously a nice race to be able to win because it finishes the season in style and you can go into a break on like a high note. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, New York is a city that is so different to uh, like where I live in Teddington, which is like London, but a bit more like rurally. So there's always a buzz around here and there's always a buzz around that event. And I would love to do like the 5K at some point here as well. It's just a little bit too early in the season. Um, it's a lot around it. It's like the food, like, because we finished our season at Fifth Ave, it's like the drinks we can have like in the bars and stuff. <laughs> you just let loose after Yeah, it's just cool. And like every time we try and find something different to do. So I think we did, uh, 
what's the called? Is it this, uh, the old railway line? Is it the Skyline or something like that? You know where it's got all the like stuff on the side. Yeah, High Line. And then we went on the edge, which I thought I was going to be like pretty good at it. And I got up there and my knees just crumbled. So yeah, yeah, where it looks down below. Yeah. So yeah, it's cool. A very cool place to be. Yeah. Let's just talk a little bit more about ending your season at the Fifth Avenue Mile because I mean, you just talked through like what this year was like for you going from like Worlds to Commonwealths to Europeans. I mean, you're you're on the track and it's like a high pressure situation. And here it's like road racing's a little more relaxed. It's still a, a, a very intense experience racing a mile on the roads a lot of the same people that you're racing on the track but it's a very different like environment atmosphere and you know like once you cross the finish line season's over like you can just like let loose i imagine it's kind of like you know kid at the end of the school year type of thing it's like all right i'm i'm just going to get this done as quickly as possible and then school's out for summer like what's it like for you when you when you like step out there is the strategy different racing on the roads Uh, versus the track are you just trying to go as fast as you can are you just trying to like win the race like what is all that the way i would i would say is it's it's not actually as hard as race on the track because you don't have to worry about running wide on bends, everyone's just running a straight line. So positioning-wise and tactics-wise, you just have to decide when to go rather than like what position you're in. But I think everyone always goes on about how fun it is and you forget that the race is hard and that everybody goes there wanting to do well. So although it's like the, the fun end of season meet, it's like a big deal to try and win still. So you've got to hang on to that point and everyone is in the same boat as soon as you cross the finish line. Like the worst thing is having to go in anti-doping knowing that everyone started like going to bars and like started drinking before you're done. But for me, like I, I live like, try and live like a monk for 11 months of the year. So therefore, as soon as I cross the line there, it's the first question is, do you warm down or not? Because it's like, <laughs> normally, normally like you don't have to, but the older I get, I realize I probably should do something because otherwise I will feel this in a month's time. Um, but it's a, great, it's a great place to finish because everyone's just on such a buzz, whether you ran well or not. It's like we're just glad to be done, especially after such a long year. So I missed Coogan's this year. That was the place which I'm, I'm guessing yeah. people have probably been, but Sadly, that was always closed like, down. Yeah, um, but I'm sure they'll create more like traditions in new places. Yeah. Both your parents were accomplished runners, as we had talked about. What was it like growing up in that household? Like having two parents who were accomplished marathoners, and this is a part of your life to some degree. I mean, for as long as you can remember, and you're doing it now at a professional level. Did you ever feel any pressure to be a runner yourself, or was it just like something you eventually took interest in, and they just helped to like foster that for you? So my parents stopped me from running at the age of eight. I think we wanted to join the cross-country like, team at school, and they said, nah, like, no, don't do it yet. I think they knew that we were always going to do it because we were surrounded by like, My parents, I don't, I don't know a day my parents haven't gone out for a run from like, any age. Like, even now, my mum and dad are 62, and every day they're still out running. So that's just been the thing. Like, we go on holiday. Everyone goes out for a run in the mornings. We got taken on holidays to go watch World Champs in Paris in 2003. My sister was like, was must she been like, five or six and she's sitting there watching athletics loving it so while there's kids in the UK like the the number one thing probably like young lads want to be is like a footballer I always wanted to be a runner like that's that's just how I've been absorbed into the sport and always been a huge fan so you have to pinch yourself sometimes and realize you're living out the kind of dream you thought and it's, it's never been a straight line but for me and so my auntie my mum's a twin and mm-hmm. uh her sister went to Seoul Olympics as well. In the 10K? Yeah, good knowledge, good knowledge. Uh, Did a little research. And um, I remember going for a run with my cousin when we were like 12. And we were like, oh, like, how hard can it be to go to Olympics? My mum's done it, your mum's done it. <laughs> yeah. So it's like, excuse your perception of like how tough the road is to get there. And um, it was always the case where I was never having to be told like, you have to go training. It was like, when am I going training? Like, yeah. It was always just I wanted to do it. And I think part of that is like being super competitive as a kid and being good at something. The more you do it, the more you like, the more success you have, the more you want to. But I went through some like wilderness years where I grew pretty late. I wish I could show you all a photo where it's me when I'm, I think, 13 and there's a kid the same age and I'm like half his height. It's like people, my friends always joke like Dobby the Elf from Harry Potter because <laughs> um, my hands and feet have grown and my rest of my body hasn't. But I was like, the one thing I credit for that is growing up in Scotland because I managed to make some teams. I'd make finals in Scottish schools at Scottish champs, whereas if I grew up in England, I'd have probably been so swamped because the depth is a lot better that I would have been disheartened and potentially not stuck with it. So Scotland was a great breeding ground for me to do that and also learn how to race. So if anyone ever asks, like, why is Scotland doing so well? That would be my answer is like, even though a lot of us weren't the best kids in the UK, 
we were like good within Scotland. Therefore, we learned our racecraft early and we, we learned how to win and how to race. And we had enough success to give us an appetite to want to do that for as long as possible. Yeah. Aside from your parents just growing up as running, going for a run every day, as, as you just described, I mean, I imagine too, like, in that in that period, I mean, you're a little beyond it, but it was like the other golden era of middle distance running for Great Britain. I mean, you had Steve Cram, who I think you're quite close with. You've mentioned yeah. him a couple so times Steve's in this conversation. Steve's son went to my school, so Steve used to come and watch track sessions and stuff like that. And I think he said it now, where he never thought that watching me when I was like a young kid would go on to do that because his son was the one I idolised. Mm-hmm. But I always felt uh, for him, the surname is just like my, my surname Whiteman doesn't really have anywhere near the same sort of uh, association that being a cram has in the yeah. sport. So I was kind of lucky on that side. But my mum my mom and dad have known like Ovet Co for a long time and stuff. So it was kind of like normal to, to hear them speak about them. And I watched, I remember my dad had like a DVD, probably a video to be fair, before DVDs and kids about, <laughs> of, uh, it was like an amazing series of films that talked you through the athletics or the track and field in LA mm-hmm. um, during the 84 Olympics mm-hmm. and it was this amazing footage where it was like these action shots and I remember watching that thinking like that is so cool like the, the stories of it and stuff so I've been a fan of the era even though I didn't see it like the one that sticks in my mind is Kelly Holmes yeah. like I was 10 years old when that happened and that was like the biggest thing like anyone could do and even now it's like probably the biggest thing that a, a British track and field athlete has done in the last well, after co-crammer event and stuff yeah. so i grew up with that and then i grew up with mo um so like i was 17 probably 18 when mo was running his best and i watched him in 2012 and super saturday crushing it and yeah i remember seeing my dad after he'd been on the microphone and just we're in awe of what we'd seen and then i was fortunate enough a couple of years later to it's kind of tragic actually where i was with older athletes on a training camp and uh it must have been two years after or three years after 2012 so 2015 and they all knew Mo pretty well, and I'd never met him before or anything. And we were sitting watching The Office, and he just comes in our flat and sits down. And I just looked at him, and I was like, oh, I like Kind it. of starstruck. Like Mo. Yeah, and like since then, I've, I've always felt as though he is the guy that kind of like inspired me for the ages I needed someone like that. Yeah, and that's what I'm wondering is watching Mo and, and Kelly Holmes and like, you know, old films of these legends like Ovette, Co, Cram. Did, did you watch that and say like, I want to do that. Like yeah. that looks that looks super cool. And yeah, you know, you were in a you were obviously in an environment where you know that was normal to you and like felt like something that was achievable. Yeah, I think the UK is very different to the US, where it's such a small sport as a kid that there wasn't really anybody in my school that was doing it. So for me, it was kind of like something I did with friends at the club. Like mm-hmm. our athletics clubs in the UK is where you grow up and develop. Like the same as a high school would be. Here, like you do all your training pretty much with athletics clubs and race for them and stuff and yeah that was one part of my life and then my school friends probably didn't really know much apart from in assemblies every now and then they'd say if I'd done something but I always knew that if I could I would do that and that was going to be always what I was aiming for um so yeah like like I said I'm, I'm so lucky that I've been able to go to champs I think we did an interview once uh, my whole family of runners world when I was uh, 14 maybe and I just said in the interview they were like how far would you love to go run and I said if I can just get a GB vest at anything I'd be so happy so to have gone on and done a lot more than just that is something that I'm sure I'll be very proud of when I finish yeah is that something that you do now is is try to look back at some of those memories and say like when I was a kid like I, I had said that I wanted to do this and now I've actually done it and helps you to have an appreciation for it yeah you take for granted a little bit with it and that's something I try with if I can go to a school and speak to kids or if someone messaged me on Insta for advice, I was that kid that would love to have spoken to athletes I look up yeah. to and had some inspiration. Not even, not even words of advice, just know that they've responded to you and been in awe of that. So if I can do that to kids across the world, whether they're like in the US or in the UK, then I'd love to be that because that was me. And I think you're so fast moving in the sport. Like the, the years just roll in back to back and you finish one season and it's like, right, what's next? You kind of take for granted that how far you have come through it and... For me, like, one thing I had to kind of comprehend was Tokyo was disappointing, but I've got to Olympic Games. Like, if you told eight-year-old me you're going to go to Olympic Games, like, how cool is that? So, like, I haven't got the tattoo because I was just disappointed, but I always think at some point I will because that's something I should be very proud of where I'm still, like, a little bit, like, it wasn't a good experience, but to call yourself Olympian is, is something that 
anyone in the street meets you, they'd be like, that's so cool. Yeah, I think that's a, a great takeaway. I mean, most of us in this room probably aren't going to the Olympics or it's, it's going to come close, but many of us have achieved something, whether it's a personal best or a Boston qualifier, that you know, you've set this goal like a long time ago or maybe like had the thought and then it happens and you never really take the time to appreciate it. It's always yeah. like on to, on to the next thing. And I think that's something that every runner at some point of their journey deals with. Yeah, I think, like I said, it moves so quick and as soon as you do one thing, you're like, right, what's next? Like, I'm, I've done that, now I've got to go and do this. And a lot of it for me is uh, speaking to my friends who aren't in the sport, who a lot of my uni mates used to run and um, they're still like, they're like my biggest fans, they're legends and stuff. And, they'll speak to me after and say, like, how cool is it you did that? Like, we'd all love to be in this position. Whereas people in the sport are kind of always focused on themselves. Whereas if you speak to others, they, they like, let you know what you've done is pretty, is pretty cool because they, they buzz so much about how you're doing it. So actually, if I take a step back, like, this, yeah. this has been, like, an amazing like, experience and an amazing... Uh, season for me this past year that I never would have dreamed of when I was younger yeah, or would have only dreamed of when I was younger. So I think in our, our respective circles, I mean, certainly for you, you're around a, a lot of other high-level athletes all the time. And I mean, for us mere mortals, like in our training groups where we live, I mean, we've, there's always someone who's going to be faster than us, right? Or who has done something, you know, has done something more. And like, you've accomplished something pretty special yourself, but you're always like, well, you know, Simon's gone and Simon's gone and done that. So I'm like not nearly as good well, as I, Simon. But I get humbled regularly in my training group. So we did a hill session a couple of weeks ago and uh, I don't I think so my mum and dad my mum comes to a lot of sessions as well because she's actually as qualified a coach as my dad but she just coaches out of a club nearby um, and I think there was a lady walking a dog and she was asking what we do and stuff and she said oh like one of them's world champion and then she goes and she's like oh like which one of you is world champion or whatever and they're like oh like Jake is that point to me and then I go and get spanked in the <laughs> yeah so it's like this so, it's like so humbling humble pie like yeah. yeah like like even though you've gone and done something there's there's always stuff that puts you back in your place and realizes like that's the thing I love is that I'd say with the guys that I train with who put me away in sessions there's no reason why they can't step up and progress the same level like athletics is great because everyone's got the same access to the same opportunities I feel it's not like football or uh, like your like basketball or NBA and stuff where you have to be picked up by a team, you have to go through certain processes. If you train hard and you run quick enough, you can make a team. Like you can go to trials with a standard and you can make a team and no one will stop you. So the doors are so open, which is why I rate and admire so many people that haven't potentially made the progress they wanted to a point, but still giving it a go because it can take one year to have that breakthrough. The same if you've got a goal where you really want to run under a certain time in a 10K marathon, but you've had a few years where you can't quite... There's nothing stopping you the next year from having these big jumps. Like, you just have to change tiny little bits, and a lot of it is just the mindset and the yeah, confidence exactly. you, can, you keep. Like, it's just... It's so mental, like, a, a lot of it, where if you believe you can do something, it's, like, the, the greatest thing that um, you can have because you are on your way to being able to do that, I feel. Yeah. What are your earliest competitive memories? Are they in athletics, or did they manifest themselves in other ways? I've got a twin brother, so very competitive very early on, um, which I credit him. Uh, for, like in everything? Uh, oh, yeah. Like if you've got an identical twin brother, like you're getting compared with everything. So all you want to do is like say, like, I'm better at him than that. Like he's, then, like, it was just the same. So we'd play like tennis, for example, and we'd be playing for ages because it would always go until one of us was like enough ahead to win it. And we'd be like out there battling. And the same with racing. Like I was fortunate that, I, I was maybe like a tiny bit better when we were younger and my biggest thing was I can't let my brother beat me like every time we raced so I don't think I can count on two fingers how many times he beat me and I've got an excuse for both of them um, <laughs> so that for me was, was huge but I played all sports until I was 18 so my mum and dad never wanted me to just run because they thought that I'd end up resenting it and potentially burn out because I felt as though I wasn't getting a social element of playing a team sport so I played uh, like soccer um, like rugby at school which I guess you guys don't have that too much here um, and always had that element where I didn't feel like I wasn't doing these sports at school because I had to run it was always like I run and I do these because I enjoy both and long term it's probably actually been great for me because I'm more robust as a result from doing these other sports that have potentially harnessed that other strengths for me than running would have done yeah when did the like switch flip for you in running where you fully dedicated yourself to it or you realize like this is where I have the most potential and I'd like to pursue that? Um, for me, it was my first year of university. I, I started training properly. So I double dayed. I went in the gym for the first time. I ran probably what is like a, an actual respectable bit of mileage for my age. Um, 
and I went and I, I won European Juniors that year. And I remember saying to one of my mates at uni, I was like, I just want a PB. Like, I just want to make sure I'm better than last year. And I think I knocked, um, how would it have been? I went from uh, 3.51 to 3.43 that year. And I ended up signing a Nike deal. Uh, I got put on futures funding. So then it became, right, well, this is something that for the next few years I can earn money at and as a job. Therefore, I'm not just a student. I'm a professional athlete. So what do I need to do to separate myself? So I became good at kind of socialising enough. Um, so at the start of the year, like we have freshers week in, at uni. Um, so my second year of uni, I would do that, still be a normal student for those weeks, potentially go out once a month. And then after Christmas, I would go to show my face at social stuff. And then when everyone heads out, go back because I knew I needed to do that because there's a big difference between being a student athlete and a professional one. And I think that's, that's where I feel as though I learned, yeah, like how to dedicate myself completely to it. And it was spending time with older athletes on camps from a very young age. I knew, like, I learned about recovery. I think it was Chris O'Hare. Uh, I was sharing a room with him at Commonwealth's when I was, uh, I think, just turned 20. And um, he was napping every day. And I was like, you're napping every day. Like, I, I never nap. And then from then, I started napping. It was like I, I started getting, like, recovery shakes, started learning that I should do this, shouldn't do that. And just every year, I've, I felt as though if I'm doing this sport, I have to dedicate myself to it because it's a big commitment. Like, I, don't, I don't feel as though this is exactly what I'd love to be doing because there's other things I miss out on in my life, like social events and stuff, which I feel like is a sacrifice. There, I'm missing out on birthdays, holidays, um, like big social events, I've got to commit as much to it to get the results um, that warrant giving those things up. Yeah, I mean, you're just prioritizing those things rather than like sacrificing other things. Yeah, and it's, it's like you see loads of uh, the retired runners and say, I would give anything to be back like doing these sessions. So I look at that and I think like I've got to kind of realize that I'm lucky to be doing this and I've got a long time being retired to <laughs> become fat and drink as much as I want. So if I can dedicate as much as I can while I'm doing this now, then... Um, I'll be super proud of how I've done. Yeah. Your dad, Jeff, aside from being the in-stadium announcer for your world championship earlier this year, and I'm sure he's announced like countless other of your races over the years as well, has been your coach for a long time. I think he started coaching you in your teens, if I'm not Yeah, mistaken. he used to be my mum before that for a couple of years. Okay. So mum was like a teacher at my school, so she would take my training at school. And then I think dad was probably the puppet master for a bit of that as well. Um, but 14, 15, I think he's been doing my stuff. Yeah. How has your relationship with your dad evolved, like, just during the time that he's been coaching you? Like, is it, um, you know, relationships that you keep separate or does it, like, kind of um, intermix at different points? Like, I'd just be curious what that, that dynamic is like. Yeah, there's, there's always been, like, the, the Seb Co thing was that when he was at training, it was Peter. And when he was at home, it was dad. Whereas I've never had that. It's always been blurred. But... Um, I consider myself very lucky that I've had one coach my whole career and that one coach is my dad because who knows you better than your own father and the thing that I credit the most is the consistency of what I've been doing like the yeah. structure has always been the same but more stuff's been added so I feel as a result I've been able to get the most out of myself and there's definitely periods like where it's tough like I, I can't say and he would not say that it's always easy because I say stuff to him that I would not say to another coach because <laughs> I'm comfortable to say it to my dad and um, they're the test of moments where it's like, I don't agree with this, but I'm going to say something. Especially when you're tired during a session, it's like, I'm not happy with this, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a go at him here. And um, they're the trying bits. And the older I've got, the less I've needed him as a dad and more just as a coach. So I'd say now like our, our role and our correspondence of communication is similar to all the other athletes who coaches where it's like about training and it's about what we're doing. So be interested to see what we've got to talk about when I finish running. Um, but only becomes my dad again. But yeah, it's it's... I feel very lucky and it's the same reason why so many like father sons mother daughters yeah father daughters mother daughters uh, always seem to work because who knows you better than your own your own parent like, yeah. even like the mentality of it like my dad knows better than I do when I'm struggling and stuff because I'll do little things that I don't even realise I'm doing yeah but he's yeah he can pick up on it just because he's known you your entire life yeah and his biggest quality is probably lack of empathy I would say <laughs> as a coach which if my mum coached me she's got too much empathy so she would like be like oh you look tired you're hurting just step off this one don't worry whereas my dad would be like you're getting back down and you're finishing it um, so the training he sets is tough um, and it's definitely a lot more communication now into what we're doing. So I have a lot more say into what I'm doing. The one thing he's probably still controls a lot is the racing. So I don't really have much say. And when I race, he'll say, you're doing this and this and this. And I'll protest it, but he won't budge. Um, whereas training, if I feel like I need to change something or I need something else, 
he'll listen. It took a while to get to that point, but now he'll like take on board because mm-hmm. I've been in the sport so long that I know I know myself what I need as well. Yeah. Have you guys ever hit any moments of like super high tension where you're like we might have to make a change here because it's not good for our relationship, or have you always been able to just quell that before it gets to that point? Oh no, there's I could find you like emails and messages on my phone. That's the worst <laughs> bit is like a lot of our correspondences um, via WhatsApp and stuff. Yeah awful for getting context so like you can you can be like having like a little debate or argument it can escalate so quick because you think they're just being horrible and um yeah I, if, if you ask my girlfriend how many times i've gone to her and said like, I'm, I'm moving coach like, i'm done with this and like, I, I never would so that's that's the thing but yeah there's there's definitely like a lot higher tensions i would say and you probably see the same with like like a lot of a lot of coach uh, athlete father son relationships do end bad. Like I know people that were coached by their fathers and they didn't speak once they left. And that'd be my thing. Is like if I if I did ever leave my dad, I wouldn't go home for Christmas. Like it'd be it'd be way too awkward. Um, but fortunately for me, it's going well. So the best thing that happened was he co- him coaching other people that are like my friends as well. Yeah. So like guys that are my age, I get on with because it just makes it so much less intense. So I actually enjoy going to training and like having a laugh with with guys that. I want to be there training with when it was just me and my dad. Sometimes that just isn't that fun. Yeah, it, it's interesting. I mean, in the last five years I've been doing this podcast, I've, I've interviewed father-son or mother-daughter, even husband-wife, like kind of coach-athlete relationships. And it seems like the ones that seem to work the best are when it's in a group environment because... Yeah. You're, you're still his son, obviously, but you're just one of his other athletes yeah. as well. And, and, you know, if he's treating you differently than everyone else, it's not fair to the rest of the team. No, and they're going to say something, right? So it kind of evens things out in a way. Yeah, so I would say um, I probably get the least attention out of everybody in the group just because I've done that training for so long. I just need to get it set and I'll do it. Whereas some of them might need a little bit more, like, guide as to what to do and stuff. And I, I would never, ever want to be treated any differently. Um, the only difference is, is, like, if I'm getting ready for a champs or, like, uh, going away on camps he will always prioritise coming to that with me and then a lot of the time those guys are there but if they're not it's like just because I feel like I need him there he will come in that situation but he wants every one of his athletes to do as well as he wants me and sometimes I think like he's got others in the group that are sons he wish he'd had um, so I'm just one that happens to be like right <laughs> Last two questions before we wrap up this conversation. And then if I can, I'd like to open it up to the audience here so they can ask a few of their own. Um, First question is a little more general and related to just the sport of of running and where it is right now, or athletics just as a whole. What's exciting you the most as someone who's been in it, like literally your entire life, and it's such a big part of your life, like things that have happened to either like you personally or just the sport as a whole that are exciting you right now? I think the sport is definitely on the up right now. Um, and for me, it's, it's like the potential that we have to commercialize it a lot more. So like, I would love to see, which has been spoken about, Diamond League become like a team format where people have got more reason to support stuff. And I feel like with the help of like, our brands like New Balance are great at it, like giving us a platform to be people rather than just athletes. Right. And like, that's the best way you can promote the sport is get to know us as individuals rather than just people invest that run around tracks, like know our stories, uh, there's always a talk about potentially there being like a Netflix thing that would follow athletics, which if it does the same as it did with Formula One and it ends up happening, like that's going to be great for the sport. And I, I would love to be responsible for helping the platform of the sport grow, especially within the UK where it's probably a much smaller sport than it is here. Um, and I'd love to, even when I finish, be responsible for helping do that as well. If I can do that, yeah, like through a brand, for an agency, just, just make sure that athletes get the attention they deserve because it's such a hard sport and what people are watching, if you don't really understand the context of it, is amazing. Like watching, watching guys running sub two, watching Mondo clear like six meters, like that's like impossibly like amazing to like most people. So I love it when you get like videos that go viral where it shows how cool that stuff is. So the better they can kind of like show that off, the, the better the sport will grow and the quicker it will get the kind of fan base that it deserves. Last question. Now that you've achieved what is a lifetime goal of getting a global medal, season's over, you're building your base for next year. How are you looking at 2023-2024 as the reigning world champion? And as you said, Jakob's probably still going to be the favorite, but you know now you have more attention on you. And you know whether 
you see them or not, expectations on your shoulders to continue to perform at that high level. Does it change anything for you as far as your outlook going into the season and how you prepare for it? I'm still going to be doing the same stuff I've done every single year, which is training hard and getting to the same level of fitness that I need to be to be able to compete. And yeah, like, like I was saying before, I, I want that sort of pressure going into races. Um, I feel as though it's, I, I, like, I like reading what people think about you. Like if it's a bad thing, I kind of like seeing that and I, I never get like, upset about it. But really? I find it, yeah, I find it interesting for people to say like, say like my world's like, for example, if someone was to say it was like a fluke or something, I, I don't know what it is. It's like a bit sadistic. I like seeing that people think that just because it's like, well, like, I'd love to be able to like prove them wrong from that. Um, it never like crushes me or anything. It's just something that, yeah, yeah, I find interesting. But yeah, it's, it's, it's all going to be about defending, to start with trying to defend the world title next year. Um, and Paris is going to be huge um, in my mind just because I don't know how many more Olympics I'll get. Like That could potentially be the last one. Um, I hope maybe I'll get LA after, but you just never know how the sport's going to go. So the only thing I can do from this now is win Olympic gold, which, yeah, that would be like the best thing ever. Um, the nice thing after this season is that I know that there's so many athletes retire and they wish they could have done this, they could have done that, and they're a little bit like resentful as to not being able to fill their potential, whereas... Even at this state, I hope I've got a lot more to come, but I will be very content and happy with how I've done, even if I retired today. Well, I appreciate that perspective. I think it's a great last takeaway for everyone here is just to appreciate your accomplishments. As we talked about earlier, I think many of us can like overlook you know, what we've done, and then you can't have that moment back. So the fact that you've been able to just like really embrace that um, over the past several months, I think, is, is really, really special. And I think something everyone here can learn from. Thank you so much for this conversation. I've really, really enjoyed it. I'm going to open this up to everyone here in the crowd. Um, if they have questions for you, we can take them for a yeah, few minutes, and then we'll wrap things up. And we have a third mic out there. Um, hi, Jake. Yeah, you Again. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, like, clearly, you've got this passion for the sport, which I think you know, probably all of us here really, really appreciate. If you were handed the keys to world athletics tomorrow, because it struck me that when you were talking about worlds, commonwealths, Europeans, all in the space of practically a week, it, it sort of almost feels a little bit unfair on the athletes. You just sort of think that was really bad timing. Yeah, like, yeah. Who, who came up with that as an idea? So if you were handed the keys to athletics tomorrow to structure the sport in a way that's going to inspire people, turn it into something that people are going to want to watch on a Netflix series, you know, really engage with. What are the kind of two or three key things that you'd instigate in the sport to make that Yeah, the, the main thing is, the big one would be storytelling. Um, every single athlete on the start line of any track or field event has had something they've got to go through to get to that point. And there's a lot of people probably that don't like each other and stuff like that, which like athletics and track and field will never have fighting talk the way it has with boxing, but highlight some of the past stuff that's happened. Like if people used to be in the same training group, they're not anymore. Um, if they've been through bad injuries or like bad illness and they've come to this point. And the thing I noticed um, is that the US is really good, I think, at doing that where there's always like little like boxes and stats that pop up and a little bit more like insight at big champs as to what an athlete has done or what they're like... Um, but yeah, it's like, is that and the team thing I was saying, like, I would love to see that at some point where every, say if there were like big teams across the, across the world and like, for example, maybe if like a sponsor had a team on their own and you compete in like a league format and people have a team to like root for rather than it being like that athlete I think I like because they're from my country, but I can't really spot them sometimes because say for like the Nike athletes, they're all wearing exactly the same stuff and there's eight of them. So give people a reason to actually like have a team to support because that's the way every other sport has like kicked on like f1 for example like i was saying people now have teams that they support because they've watched that series and they've seen what the um, managers are like they've seen what the like drivers are like behind the scenes so yeah th there's a lot that it can grow with and i think next couple of years will like hopefully it's not beyond my time in the sport because i'd love to to see it as like big as it used to be in the 80s like we always get told that the co-crammer vet stuff used to interrupt the news to go and show well records attempts like how cool would it be to get back to a point like that i've got two questions sorry yeah because it comes off one that you've just said so a lot of brits in a room isn't it yeah. sorry yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, I was amazed you instead it and i went wow i'm here oh, fine anyway um so the question you said about the team stuff there because the triathlon series, they've just changed that, haven't they? So they're yeah, all yeah. mixed up, aren't they? So you've yeah. got like Brownleys, you've got 
Uh, you've got them all mixed up into a team. Is that kind of the team thing? Well, say if it was about? like every New Balance athlete is like one team and then you go and that, that's your like teammates that you can go and have like a league structure against someone else. This is just how I think it would, it'd be great to, to be able to then sell like merchandise of that team and it's like whether they're based in certain like locations and cities and they go against each other. Just, yeah, that, that gives anyone that's watching a reason to be like, oh, I want this team to win because like they're from my like my home city or like nearby there or even like they're wearing a colour kit that I like like it's just some reason for it to be like this is who I want to support in every single event rather than it just being I've heard of this athlete in this race or this athlete in this event therefore that's who I like well and it's even easier to get behind a team than it is an athlete at some point you're going to retire and your career's over but the team can live on right and you yeah, can be yeah. a fan of you know the New Balance racing team or whatever it's going to be I mean forever if you really wanted to much like you would a football club or anything yeah. else that's the thing i love about how we have a new balance at the moment where there's probably like one or two like uh big athletes in each event so you can watch that and be like there's the new balance athlete and like they're crushing it um that's what i feel like we have it pretty good because we're always pretty distinguished in like fields and stuff um and like yeah if people can get behind like say like the new balance team and that's the team that they support and every time they watch and they're like right this is who I want to win rather than it being like I don't care about the outcome of this be like I want, I want this to happen because I'm very invested in it because of this so the second question was I know you said you don't want to do marathons but wouldn't Chris Thompson be a good example for you as well uh, yeah Tomo probably stepped up to like 5 and 10k's a bit sooner do you know what's funny is like uh, so Tomo used to live around where I live in Teddington uh, and Andy Vernon and stuff as well and they would get recognised in that the parks probably a lot more than us lot on the track, um, just because the like the marathon following is just huge. Like in the UK with London, obviously as well, it's just so much more so, exposure. Yeah, it's like they're they're like the big icons that everybody can look up to, um, and it's just such a bigger sport. But yeah, I'd, I'm the only one in my family that hasn't run a marathon, which is kind of pathetic considering this, my job he's, is to run. <laughs> we we met him a couple of weekends ago. He's a lovely. Yeah, lovely, he's very lovely. he's very very funny guy as well. Um, but yeah, like, at one point I'll do it, whether that's to try and run as fast as I can in like later in life or just to be able to get around one and say I've done it, I need to do it at some point. You've got to beat your dad though, haven't you? Really? Oh, my dad's, my dad's is good. Like pre, yeah, like pre, pre those shoes. So he'll always tell you that. Uh, oh yeah, before Yeah, yeah. But he was like one of five, I think, that ran an Olympic qualifier and he was two of the three that didn't go. So that's one of his things. So like that, to coach me to Olympics was like a big deal for him. And your mom's 231 is, I mean, not, not so slouchy either. No, mom was the first British lady to run under 70 for half yeah. as well. Um, yeah, she was like her and Marnie also, they were like some freak show because they both used to wear exactly the same stuff, finishing like within a second or two. But my mom never beat my auntie when they raced each other. Yeah, which I found like... That, that's mad. Like, there must have been a point where my mum probably could have, but didn't have, like, the guts to go past or something. Thank you, anyway. We have one here up front, Marie. Do you have any tips for us um, doing the marathon tomorrow? Maybe not on the physical distance, but on the mental side? Um, mantras or advices for when the going gets, gets tough? I, I would say, I guess a lot of people probably run with music. But my thing, if I was doing New York Marathon, I would not be running music because I'd love to be able to hear how much the crowd is getting behind you and kind of, kind of soak in the atmosphere and hope that they're like cheering for you and if they're not, believe they are to try and get you around it. But my would be is how lucky are you to have got into a position where you can get around a marathon? Therefore, just like try and soak up every minute of it and when it gets tough, use that as an opportunity to kind of really test yourself and see how resilient you are. Let's take one more in the back. Uh, now that we're in New York, I was curious if the, the New York Roadrunners have um, showed you the 1983 marathon finish. And as a student of the sport, I assume you know that that was Rod Dixon coming up to the marathon as a 1,500-meter runner. And is this is where he came from, like, miles back and closed down? Beat Jeff Smith. At the yeah, yeah, That's yeah. that iconic photo iconic of him moment. standing there at the finish line with his arms yeah, yeah. up in the Some, air. Someone showed me that last year, and I can't remember where it was. It might have even been like here with it, but yeah, it's class. Like I don't know if that'll ever be me. Um, <laughs> it's a thing. I'd, I'd love for it to be, but yeah, it's. Uh, so my brother ran 2:48 for a marathon uh, off of like he's not he's not like a competitive runner or anything he just has like a bit of genes to be able to do it so I'd at some point like to run quicker than that whether that's <laughs> long after being done because I need once again I need to make sure that I set my dominance 
Well, Jake, thank you so much for this conversation. Thanks to all of you for attending. Best of luck to everyone who is racing tomorrow. And that's it for this live right, show. Luck, everybody. The Morning Shakeout Podcast. <laughs>